0: Welcome to Music for Life, exploring the purpose and value of music to humanity's enrichment. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is one of the most famous cello pieces of all time, the prelude from suite number one of a set of six suites for solo cello by Johann Sebastian Bach. And we are hearing cellist Yo Yo Ma. Today on Music for Life, we are going to explore repertoire for a single instrument that is usually grouped with other instruments, or simply instruments which are usually accompanied by other instruments, but in these compositions are completely solo. In our Sounds of Scripture segment, we will explore two solo performances that the biblical record shows achieved some supernatural results. And in our classroom corner, we will talk about the value of isolating elements to make for more effective practicing. And what sets musicians apart from non-musicians in terms of how they isolate things in their hearing. Today on Music for Life, Music for One. Last season on Music for Life, we discussed some of the basic instrument families and how they were exploited throughout history. That's a finite list of things to explore. So as I stated at the beginning of this season, I want to explore different combinations of instruments, ones that are commonly uh, used—the great pairs, the great trios, the great quartets, and so on—of music history. But before we do that, I wanted to explore this idea of music for one. There are plenty of pieces written for solo instruments, What I want to explore today are solo compositions written for instruments that are usually paired with an ensemble or some sort of instrumental accompaniment. Before we do that though, let's have a brief Sounds of Scripture segment where we survey the Bible's many references to music for a longer sweeping historical perspective on our episode's theme. The Bible discusses two solo performances in particular that achieved powerful supernatural results. One was in the time of King Saul, and the other was in the time of Elisha the prophet. First, the account in Elisha's day, which can be found in 2 Kings 3. In verse 14, we read how Elisha was going to heed King Jehoshaphat's request and seek God's input on a particular matter. Notice how Elisha went about this. But now bring me a minstrel, he said. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus saith the Lord. That was verses 15 and 16 of 2 Kings 3. Both the word for minstrel and played are the Hebrew word nagan, N-A-G-A-N, meaning to strike the strings. This passage, therefore, literally would read, The striker of the strings struck the strings. After this performance, it says, The hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and inspired him with what to tell the king. The other example I'd like to discuss is a more well-known one and an account that we have frequently mentioned in our Sounds of Scripture segments, that of the young David playing for King Saul who was troubled by an evil spirit. The detail I wanted to bring out here was that as the Bible records it, David was performing solo on the harp. The account specifically reads, David took a harp and played with his hand. That can be found in 1 Samuel 16, 23. And whenever this happened, the rest of the verse indicates, David would play and the evil spirit departed from Saul. The effects of David's solo harp playing on this evil spirit are profound as the Bible relates it, but even what it did for young David is also worth noting. Alfred Sendry talks about this in his book, Music in Ancient Israel. He believes that this singular act, this singular musical gig, you could call it, is arguably what launched David to greatness in Israel. He writes, One may well surmise the existence of numerous other players of the kinur, or harp, among whom David stood out as being uncommonly talented. His ability of playing the kinnor has been the immediate cause for his invitation to the court, and consequently, it was the starting point of his future ascendance. And that's the end of the quote. Well, his encounter with Samuel in Bethlehem was the starting point, you could say, but as far as being noticed by the rest of the nation in terms of where it would lead, it certainly did start with this solo performance in Saul's court. This has been Sounds of Scripture. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. Today we are exploring repertoire for a single instrument that is usually grouped with other instruments, in an episode I've titled Music for One. At the top of the program, we already heard the most famous example, the prelude from the first cello suite by J.S. Bach that fits perfectly into the theme of today, as the cello in Bach's day was an instrument which had a role as part of the orchestra, supporting the bass line and far from being any main feature melodically. But in Bach's six cello suites, which were likely written between 1717 and 1723, the cello is featured alone, and these pieces have become standard repertoire for any cellist. Now, instead of playing any more of those, I want to play something from some of Bach's solo violin repertoire. Here again is an instrument that was usually featured in a section, or perhaps even as a soloist, but almost always accompanied. JS Bach's set of six violin sonatas and partitas are purely unaccompanied. They have become some of the most frequently performed and recorded music for solo violin, and also considered some of the most difficult for the solo instrument. Bach began composing them in 1703, far before the cello suites. The entire set was completed, though, around 1720, while he was working as Kapellmeister or music director for Prince Leopold of Prussia. The sonatas, consisting of four movements each, are in the typical slow-fast-slow-fast structure of Bach's day, while the partitas are comprised of shorter dance movements. The term partita, in fact, as you may recall, is synonymous with suite, as in an instrumental suite patterned after a collection of dance movements. However, partita usually implies a single instrument suite. Many of the dance movements in Bach's partitas are written as a single voice, uh, one note at a time, in other words, very suitable for violin music. Of course, the violin can play more than one note at a time because of the way the bow can go across the strings. And the slower pieces, and especially the chacon movement in one of those partitas, is particularly challenging stylistically because it presents multiple ideas and thick textures on an instrument that can only play two tones at a time, maybe three or four, depending on how the bow is ripped across the strings. The movement from the partita in D minor, that Chacon that I just mentioned, is one of the most famous pieces from the set. It presents several variations on a single theme and makes unparalleled demands on both the violinist's technical and expressive abilities. We heard a snippet of this movement in last season's episode, The Fiddle Family, when demonstrating the violin's ability to produce more than one pitch at a time. Now, the movement I want to feature here... From this solo violin repertoire that really stretches the abilities of this single unaccompanied instrument is the fugue movement of the violin sonata in C. The sonata itself is four movements, and this is the second of those. Now, a fugue, if you remember, which we've explained on a previous episode, is somewhat of a complex round. It requires a layering of melodic ideas, the main idea being called the subject. It's particularly easy to tell the sections of a fugue In, say, a choral composition, that is, one with lyrics, and one where each section of the choir, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, are performing a layer of the fugue independently of the other sections. So imagine how difficult this would be handled on a solo instrument. On keyboard instruments, it's definitely manageable because the keyboard instrument can play multiple notes at once. But on a stringed instrument like a violin, although it can play more than one string at a time, it's not as ideal as a keyboard instrument. But that didn't deter Bach from writing the intricately layered fugue for the violin in this sonata. You're going to hear how the melodic lines are layered on an instrument that doesn't as easily play more than one note at a time. This fugue movement for solo violin is notorious for its length and difficulty. The piece is 354 measures long, an unprecedented length for this kind of piece. The subject, or the main melodic idea, goes like this. So you're going to hear that melodic idea repeated a lot throughout the piece, but then halfway through the piece, a passage is marked as al reverso, or in reverse, and that's where the fugue subject and its counter-subject become the inverse of what they were before, like this. So let's hear this whole movement now. This is with violinist Itzhak Perlman, the fugue, or second movement, of violin sonata in C. Thank you. That was violinist Itzhak Perlman performing the second movement, or the fugue movement, of J.S. Bach's Sonata in C. A fugue is a multi-layered work and an incredibly difficult one to perform on a solo instrument, and in that instance, it kept the unaccompanied violinist's hands full, to say the least. That was an example from the Baroque era, Bach's second surviving son, CPE Bach, whom we've discussed on previous episodes, was one of the transitional composers leading us into the next era, the classical era. He wrote a sonata for solo unaccompanied flute, another instrument we would expect to hear in an ensemble, or if in a solo situation, it would be paired with some accompaniment-type instrument or instruments. We have played unaccompanied flute on this program, though, before. An example by Debussy, meant to imitate the panpipes, and an example by the Baroque composer Telemann. Here is Jean-Pierre Rampal playing C.P.E. Bach's Sonata for Unaccompanied Flute in A minor. It's in three movements. The first is slow, and the last two are marked allegro. In the last two movements in particular, C.P.E. Bach uses a lot of jumping back and forth between the low range and the high range, which helps us as the listener, with one note sounding at a time, to make sense of the implied harmonic underpinning to what he's creating. And I'm going to play you the third and final movement, which employs this technique, but it also employs a lot of repeated notes, which gives the ear plenty to latch onto for, again, an instrument that can only play one pitch at a time.
1: (laughs)
0: You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. Today's episode is titled Music for One, and in it we are exploring repertoire for a single instrument that is usually grouped with other instruments. In other words, solo compositions written for instruments that are usually paired with an ensemble or some sort of instrumental accompaniment. That was a piece for unaccompanied flute, the sonata for solo flute in A minor by C.P.E. Bach, Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, the second surviving son of J.S. Bach. We heard flutist Jean-Pierre Rampal. As we move now into the Romantic era, a time period where bigger was better and more instruments were preferred, there is a piece from later in the Romantic era that fits into this category, I think. It's a piano composition... Now, you might think, well, there's plenty of solo piano music. The piano really wouldn't fit into this kind of discussion. And you would be correct. However, the reason the piano wouldn't fit into this discussion is because it is usually played with both hands. There is a solo set for the piano that employs only the left hand, though. It's a Prelude and Nocturne by Alexander Skryabin. Skryabin was a Russian composer and pianist, well known for his virtuosic performances. After reportedly damaging his right hand from over-practicing, Scriabin composed this prelude in C-sharp minor and nocturne in D-flat major for the left hand alone, the nocturne being a particularly challenging work to perform. Due to the loss of his right hand for a time, Scriabin from that point forward often wrote very difficult rhythmical patterns for the left hand in much of his music. Here is the Nocturne. In a 1951 recording by the Russian pianist Heinrich Neuhaus, Scriabin's Nocturne for the Left Hand, Opus 9, Number 2. That was pianist Heinrich Neuhaus possibly playing with one hand tied behind his back. That was Alexander Skriabin's Nocturne for the Left Hand, Opus 9 No. 2. That piece fits into our discussion today because usually solo piano repertoire is easily able to cover both melodic and accompaniment material in both hands. Here the composer limits the performer to just a single hand which ties into our discussion today of music that is stripped down to just one instrument, or in this case, one hand. As we showed at the top of the program, arguably the most famous work that would fit into this category would be the cello suite in G by J.S. Bach. The prelude is extremely well-known nowadays. In the 20th century, another composer ventured into the realm of unaccompanied cello to create one of the masterpieces of this instrument's repertoire. The composer was Zoltan Kodayi, who we've talked about a lot in our Classroom Corner segments because he was most well-known for his contributions to music education. Let's hear some of his sonata for solo cello. This work was written in 1915. You can hear the Hungarian folk music of Kodály's native land having a strong influence on this work, particularly the third movement. The work also displays hints of Debussy's influence, as well as fellow composer Bela Bartok. In fact, Bartok wrote of this sonata, No other composer has written music that is at all similar to this type of work. It is precisely the complexity of the problem that offered him the opportunity of creating an original and unusual style, though quite apart from these effects, the musical value of the work is brilliantly apparent. Speaking of the unique effects and colors that Kodai gets from this instrument, as you'll remember from our Fiddle Family episode, this kind of instrument can be bowed or plucked. And of its four strings, up to all four strings can be plucked at once, and at least two strings can be bowed simultaneously. In this piece, you'll sometimes hear one string being held while the cellist changes pitches on another string. Another less common technique in this piece, the composer is having the cellist bow a string, which is done by the right hand, while a finger from the left hand, which is on the fingerboard, is plucking one of the other strings. So you'll hear a combination of a bowed and a plucked sound simultaneously and again all from one instrument, one performer. All these various techniques are utilized in the energetic third movement. Let's hear that here in a recording by cellist Paul Tortelier. I'm sorry.
1: Mm -hmm. ORCHESTRA PLAYS
0: That was Paul Tortelier performing the third movement of Zoltan Kodayi's Sonata for Solo Cello, Opus 8. Kodayi's name has come up several times on this program, but usually in relation to music education, the field where he made a large impact. And that leads us into our Classroom Corner segment today, where we explore different methods and curricula for introducing young people to music. We're going to talk in this segment about the value of isolating elements in practice, as I think that ties into our episode's theme. But before we do that, I want to share a quote from Zoltan Kodai himself that ties into our theme in a slightly different way. This quote is about the power of one as relates to music education. Kodai said this, It is far more important who the elementary music teacher is in a small town Than who the director of an opera house is. Because if the opera house director is not good, he will be dismissed in a year. But a poor music teacher in a small town can kill off the love of music for 30 years from 30 classes of children. This is an enormous responsibility. I thought that was fitting to quote here as we talk about the impact one music educator can make. But on to our main discussion in this segment. Stripping music down to its various singular elements is enormously valuable for the music student when practicing. Each instrument family has different ways this can be done. Pianists can practice hands separately or can even isolate what we call different voices within one hand. Training the foot to pedal properly can require isolating this third hand, so to speak. Singers often isolate the text from the pitches and vice versa, especially if singing in a foreign language. String players can isolate the bowing hand or the fingering hand. And all instrumentalists can isolate a particular segment or phrase in a piece of music and practice those separately from the entire piece. Robert W. London also author of An Objective Psychology of Music, discusses two practice methods in his book, the whole method of practice and the part method of practice. He suggests that for larger works and for problem areas, implementing the part method of practice is most effective. This is where a musician isolates certain sections of the piece. He states, "...small section practice should serve largely as a means of final polishing, suggesting that whole practice should be only used when trying to get an overview of the piece." as isolating sections of the piece proves to be the most fruitful. This applies to the learning of any instrument. chuan Si Chang, who wrote Fundamentals of Piano Practice, tells any musician to isolate the trouble spots and practice them separately. For pianists specifically, most have a weaker left hand, so working on just the left hand can be very beneficial. He discusses the importance of isolating the hands. Hands separate work is crucial for even memorizing a piece. Getting sections up to speed, hands separately, before putting them together is vital for memorization. He states once you can play the entire piece, hands separately, at will, you should consider the piece memorized. Additionally, Mr. Chang discusses what is known as the quiet hands method. In this mode, the fingers are isolated from the hands. The fingers do most of the playing, with the hands moving very little. Eliminating unnecessary motion in the hands allows a musician to play faster and it increases control. Various instrumentalists, not just pianists, could benefit from this type of isolation. Every instrument is about efficiency of motion. So that's some information about isolating components of music to help the practice session. And finally, to close out this segment, there's even research that says that musicians, because of all this, are better at isolating sounds in everyday situations, Researchers in the Netherlands recently published a study in the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America supporting this idea. They played audio recordings of one speaker talking over another speaker for a group of 18 musicians and 20 non-musicians, asking them to repeat as many words of one of the speakers as they could. After comparing results from the two groups, Researchers found that the musicians were able to isolate the two speakers more effectively than the non-musicians. Scientists refer to the ability to isolate voices as stream segregation, and researchers conclude that musicians may be better at isolating voices and listening to conversations, even in noisy areas. This has been Classroom Corner. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. Today we have explored repertoire for a single instrument that is usually grouped with other instruments, in an episode I've titled Music for One. We talked about J.S. Bach's unaccompanied solo violin partitas and sonatas. We talked about C.P.E. Bach's unaccompanied flute repertoire. We heard a piano piece for a single hand. And we heard an unaccompanied cello sonata by a great composer and educator of the 20th century. But another instrument you might expect to hear with other instruments, almost always, or at least one other accompaniment-type instrument, would be the solo voice. Let's hear a traditional African-American spiritual sung by soprano Kathleen Battle. Here it is completely unaccompanied. This is titled, Over My Head. And this is from her Live at Carnegie Hall album. You'll hear how sparse this is in terms of texture, just a single voice. But she keeps the listener completely engaged with her exquisite stylistic choices. That was soprano Kathleen Battle singing Over My Head, but not really over anyone's head. That's actually the title of that traditional African-American spiritual, completely unaccompanied, and how accessible. Usually when we hear the human voice, we would expect a string and or percussion instrument accompanying it or an ensemble of some kind. And this leads us right into the dessert I've selected for today. This is where we end the program with an example from the popular or folk tradition. This is another solo voice, and this is one capable of so many colors and effects all on its own. This is the ten-time Grammy-winning vocalist Bobby McFerrin. His most famous work would be Don't Worry, Be Happy, which, thanks to recording technology and studio techniques, layered his voice in unique ways. He accompanied himself, you could say. But here is a recording of him just him and no layering because it was him by himself in a live performance this made it into his 1984 album the voice this is his rendition of the famous beatles song blackbird with his singular voice he achieves bass melody percussion and even some echo effects enjoy bobby mcferrin's performance of blackbird
2: Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly For your life You were only waiting for this moment to arrive Blackbirds singing in the dead of
1: night
2: Ding this song and I eyes. I learned to sing. <laughs> All your life, You <laughs> were well, only waiting for this moment <laughs> yeah, to be be Beep, blah. her Do, blah. Into the light on the top black night. <laughs> dum 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 do Ding, these broken wings, I learned to fly i boom, ba your all life. this moment life. You were ba boom, ba this song in my eyes I learned to sing. All your life. Only for this moment to be free. He's light dark of a dark black eye. light dark the of the black black fly be webe be get the light of the black night